Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belonged to the truth, listen to my voice. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. Uh, yes, today is that uh, sweet spot in the uh, calendar of the church. It's also the sweet spot in the preaching calendar where uh, somebody like me gets to uh, preach on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. And I am grateful for this opportunity to share with you uh, not only uh, a Thanksgiving, post-Thanksgiving Sunday, but a Sunday that we would call in the Christian church uh, Christ the King Sunday. And the reading we just heard is, is our pointing toward or our getting our attention towards uh, Jesus Christ as King. And so we come to the end of our Christian year because next Sunday we'll start a new Christian year with Advent. And so we come to this point in our Christian year where we uh, take a look at the ark from the cradle in Bethlehem to the resurrection and to Christ being our king. So let us begin. Said Jesus, everyone who belonged to the truth, listen to my voice. Would you join with me in hearing this story again? From a western hill looking east towards the Jerusalem temple, Pontius Pilate took residence in Herod's palace. Governor of Judea, Pilate had left his comfortable residence in Caesarea by the sea where the chariots were raced where the open-air theaters entertained Gentile crowds and sewers cleaned regularly by the ebb and flow of the tides. Now some 80 miles from his seacoast comforts, Pilate kept watch over a Passover crowded Jerusalem. These religious Holidays were always a concern for the Romans. They always had to be on their guard in case the religious-fueled crowd were to cause some riot over some self-proclaimed Messiah. 
All Pilate wanted to do was to get through these seven days of Passover celebration for the crowd to go back to their home and for him back to the seacoast at Caesarea. About halfway through Passover, early and rudely in the morning, Pilate is awakened by the religious leaders of the temple. They have brought to him a prisoner. And you might take a look at your bulletin cover, which will lead us to this point in our story. They have brought to him a prisoner. These Jewish leaders wait outside the headquarters of their Roman ruler, not wanting to make themselves ritually unclean by entering a Gentile space. For if they entered Gentile space, they could not receive Passover. So outside came Pilate to these arrogant and impolite religious leaders, leaders who the night before had arrested a Galilean rabbi on charges of calling himself the son of God, a blasphemy. Pilate gruffly asked, what charge do you bring against this man? Oh, if he were a criminal, not a criminal, the leaders cleverly and disingenuously replied, we would not have brought him to you. Refusing to get drawn into a religious debate not of his concern, Pilate told them, take him yourselves and try him by your laws. The religious leader's reply reveals their deadly manipulative intent. Oh, we're not allowed to put anyone to death. They had no idea that their cruel plan would fulfill the Nazarene prophecy of the way he would die. That is to be lifted up as on a Roman cross rather than by the Jewish law of stoning. And yet even more absurd was their standing outside of Pilate's headquarters to not defile themselves for Passover, yet defiling themselves all the worse and a murderous plot to kill the Son of God. So Pilate goes inside into his headquarters and summons Jesus for talking to you. Exasperated for being awakened so early and being drawn into a religious feud not of his own, Pilate would hear for himself the source of his unwelcome irritation. And Pilate asks not a religious question, a blasphemy, but a political question, a question that could lead not to a conviction of a religious offense, but of a political and capital offense against Caesar. Pilate addresses his prisoner. So you are the king of the Jews. The prisoner responds, is that your question? Or have others suggested it to you? Irritated that his prisoner responded to his question with a question and to fend off any suggestion that he is personally interested in the question he just asked, 
Pilate mockingly replied with disgust, Do I look like a Jew to you? And tries to regain control of the conversation by adding, Your own nation and chief priests have brought you to me. Just what kind of trouble are you stirring up? Says the unarmed and uncrowned one, my kingdom does not belong to this world. If it did, my followers would be fighting to save me from the clutches of the Jews. My kingdom belongs elsewhere. Seizing an opening to a confession that Jesus has laid claim to a kingdom, Pilate interjects, so you are a king then. Again, Jesus takes charge of Pilate's interview and redirects Pilate's political self-interest to the realm and work of Jesus. Says Jesus to Pilate, King is your word. My task is to bear witness to the truth. For this I was born. For this I came into the world. Everyone who cares for the truth, who has any feeling for the truth, recognizes my voice. And here our passage ends with Jesus giving a subtle invitation to Pilate. Do you care for the truth? Are you curious about the truth that I give witness to? But as we see Pilate's behavior, he has no interest in the truth. He just wants to do what's politically expedient with these troublesome temple leaders. And perhaps you remember Pilate's dismissive response in the next verse. Pilate says, what is, and maybe you can finish this for me, what is truth? But the focus of our text is not on Pilate's dismissive response. Our attention is on Jesus' last phrase. Everyone who belonged to the truth recognized my voice. So let me ask, doesn't everyone in this season of alternate facts and partisan divide want to belong to the truth? And set things right? Wouldn't everyone want to be on the side of Jesus? Did you catch Jesus' words? Recognize my voice. Or recognizes my voice. Does that phrase sound faintly familiar? If you think you've heard that phrase before, you're right. About eight chapters earlier, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd, an iconic symbol of the kings of Israel. Jesus spoke of himself as a shepherd whose sheep recognizes his voice, of a shepherd who lays down his life for his people. Now, Pilate wouldn't recognize no such king who would lay down his life for the people. In Caesar's kingdom, it's the other way around. 
In Caesar's empire, it is the people who are supposed to lay down their life for the king. And as we will see in the next chapter of John, the chief priest of the temple had no use for a Jewish king. Turning down Pilate's last offer to free Jesus, shouting, Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar! And 12 chapters earlier in the gospel, it was 5,000 Galileans who wanted by force to make Jesus king. A king who could miraculously fill their bellies with a boy's five loaves and two fish. Rather, Jesus offered them himself that he would give his life as the bread of heaven from which they would live forever. And the response of many to Jesus' offer of himself is what? They turn away from Jesus. So what do we make of this Jesus whose kingship the religious leaders violently reject, whom a Roman governor would dismiss, as we will see, with the washing of his hands, and whom hungry people would try to force to be their king? Could it be that they and we too need to know how to listen for Jesus? Could it be that we have applied our bias, our self-interest onto Jesus rather than let Jesus speak to us his truth? A word that appears in the Gospel of John four times more than the other three Gospels combined. Can we have any hope in the Jesus saying of, you will know the truth and the truth will make you what? Free. I realize that in this age of alternative facts and polarization of opinion, it is hard for us to agree on what is true. But I'm going to hold on to the promise that if we care about the truth, and as Eugene Peterson's The Message adds, have a feeling for the truth, then we will hear Jesus' voice, and we will recognize Jesus. And better yet, by belonging to the truth, we will belong to Jesus. Now, it might be helpful first to say what we mean by the word truth in John's gospel. I invite us to hear a sampling from among these uh, 25 references to truth in John's gospel. And perhaps you can help me complete these verses. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here's another one. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
And lastly, Jesus said, I am the way and the and the life. What this gospel and this Jesus say to us about truth is that Jesus is truth. Truth embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. In our Christian life, how we get to know the truth is not from the law, but from and through Jesus Christ. That is, it is through a relationship with Jesus that we begin to recognize and know Jesus. Remember the good shepherd comment. The shepherd or the sheep know my voice. When I served at the First United Methodist Church in Marshall, Texas, I gave an illustration of this passage in a children's sermon. I'd had the children come and uh, sit at the uh, altar steps and uh, to close their eyes. And then I invited their parent to come and sit in the front pew. And I asked the parent to say, I love you. And when the child heard their parents say, I love you, I told the children they could open their eyes and go join and sit with their parents. What'd you know? One by one, with each I love you said, each child got it right. And how do they get it right? By being in an abiding day-to-day relationship with their parents. The children did not need a class on learning how to recognize their parents' voice. They just knew it from living with them. Oh, would we have such intimacy with Jesus that we, without hesitation, would know his voice the moment he speaks to us. There's something else about the word truth in the Gospel of John, and I thank uh, Herschel Hobb for his word study from 50 years ago, that the word truth in Greek is althea, which means uncovered, open, revealed. The word althea, or truth, first appears in the opening verses of the Gospel of John. Alongside the words, the word and grace. That is, the word appeared full of grace and truth. We do not see these three words together again, word, grace, and truth. But the word truth continues on through this gospel to remind us that God the Father fully disclosed to us, fully revealed to us in the truth and person of Christ. We wonder, how do we know that we're on track with Jesus' voice? What clues do we have that we're listening to the truth when there are so many opinions, political parties, news sources claiming the truth? Here's a clue from that Pontius Pilate day. Christ himself would give himself to us And three days later, God would declare victory over sin and death. Where we see the self 
giving that is life-giving. That is Jesus. That is truth. Jesus' truth was lived righteously. Jesus healed. Jesus comforted. Welcomed the outcast. Feared neither empire nor religious self-preservation. Jesus gave hope, compassion. Jesus confronted shady dealings and corruption in the temple. Jesus saved lives and raised lives from death. Jesus lived for us that prophetic command from Micah. Perhaps you know it. O human, the Lord has told you what is required of you, but to do justice, love, kindness, and walk humbly with your God. With words like that, with a Savior like Jesus, truth challenges us daily, calling us to side with Jesus. One of my first awakenings in recognizing Jesus' voice happened when I was a teenager in 1976 on a city of Macon, Georgia public bus. My father had shown me the way to get home from the Catholic high school that I attended by giving me the bus schedule and pointing out the bus stop. As I got on the bus for the first time, I took my seat, I looked around, the bus looked a little bit dated. The styling and the seat looked to be from the late 1950s. And there was a fresh coat of paint throughout. Looking toward the front of the bus, above the windshield, there was an outline of letters under that fresh paint. And then I saw it. The words under the paint. Clearly legible were these words. Colored people sit to the rear. I looked at the driver who was black and I wondered how does it feel for him to drive this bus every day with a reminder of a law that had established segregation. And as I lived my high school years in Macon, Georgia, I would recognize the racial separation covered not in just paint, but also covered by polite indifference, covered by the hushed voice of a dance teacher telling us not to invite black children to our ballroom dance class, and covered by a unsupervised white boy scout who shouted racial epithet to a black scout so to anger him into breaking a 24-hour vigil of silence. 
Throughout that season in Macon, I heard or sensed the compassion of Christ, the justice of Christ, and it often seemed that I fell to fear rather than courage. The simple act of throwing a football with a black neighbor's child drew a rebuke from a potential high school fraternity brother. And I was quiet to the truth of Jesus, who was saying to me, Tom, this is not life-giving. This is oppressive. But clutching my throat from speaking out with a dehumanizing culture that dared to put me in my place as a white person of privilege. Don't speak out or you'll lose out with your tribe. Listening for Jesus will often bring a crisis. A crisis of being on the side of truth means separating from the world. Or as Jesus would say, separating oneself from the father of lies, the devil. A month ago, I listened to a 12-step presentation by people in recovery. I heard often the comment, quote, speak your truth, unquote. Now, what they meant was not an opinion or truth they just made up, but it was a gospel of John kind of truth Open, uncovered, revealed. Truth in 12th step begins with self-disclosure. No more hiding, but an uncovering of oneself to the reality of their addiction so that one may begin to see themselves as they are and begin the journey to recovery. Beloved, as we begin to think about the truth embodied in the voice of Jesus, will we be able to separate ourselves from the father of lies? Are we not all in recovery, assessing the damages of wrong and sin while awaiting the healing power of the word who lived with us, who came to us, as the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The good news of our recovery is that the truth of Jesus will set us free. We can look forward to being free from dehumanizing, objectifying, and labeling others in the name of some fear-ridden idea. We will be able to breathe freely, a sigh of relief of not having to constantly keep others out and down in order to preserve unrighteous position. I remember 27 years ago meeting a white woman from apartheid South Africa. And there was fear in her eyes, talking of her place in a society where she was constantly looking over her shoulder 
She was constantly maintaining a vigil because of the oppressed, righteous anger that had built up around her walls of white privilege. The next time that I got on that Macon, Georgia city bus, I made it a point to sit in the back of the bus. And I would not follow through on joining that high school fraternity. My teenage mind could not articulate what I was sensing in my heart an intentional listening to Jesus' truth, a truth which was uncovering my unrighteous white privilege. And then about 12 years later, I would respond to a call of ministry with the deaf, a call from Jesus to serve deaf people not as an object of pity, but as a people whom God has called to be full partners in ministry and outreach of Christ's holy church. And there are days when being in the deaf community, I see the barriers to the full access of God's blessings. Are we in so a community where the truth of Christ is revealing the unfinished work of God's kingdom? For learning the truth comes not with learning a proposition. Rather, truth comes with abiding with Jesus and then learning the truth about oneself and one place in God's kingdom family. And take this from a hard of hearing pastor of the deaf. Listening for Jesus requires not our ears, but the heart of a believer, alive with the righteousness of Jesus' truth, truth that is seen in compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, generosity, and humility. What word would you add as you listen for Jesus? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.